You can subscribe to these radio shows by way of the Substack button at truthjihad.com. All right. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio FreedomSlips.com. And yeah, we're going to get back to your host. Welcome back to the second hour of tonight's Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, broadcasting live out of an old ice cream trailer parked somewhere in the woods of western Wisconsin, taking on the biggest issues that you're not hearing the truth about in the corporate mainstream. All right, let's get going here with the second hour. We're now heading all the way around the world to Australia, which has been in the news all over the world of late. There's a clash between the irresistible force, rather no, the, the immovable force and the irresistible object. That's the other way around. In any case, the lockdowns and the protests are really heating up in Australia. Australia has some of the toughest lockdowns, and it now has some of the most intense and vociferous protests. Uh, in particular, the Melbourne region apparently is a hotbed of this. And so we're reaching out right now to two Australians. Uh, one is actually in Melbourne, and that is scientist Gidjan Palya. Gidjan, are you there? Hello, Kevin. Hello, Kevin. Oh, hi, Kevin. Hello. Hello. You're looking good, but you, we don't need the, the video. So you can go ahead and click on that, turn off the camera. Yep. And so you're in your study in Melbourne. And we also have Peter Myers, who's over in Queensland, Childers or something like that, Childers in Queensland. Peter, come in. Uh, yes, Kevin, good to be back. Great to have you back. Yeah, so you, you two guys are two of my favorite radio guests uh, of anybody all on the planet. And uh, certainly in Australia, you have very different views on the pandemic and the response I understand that, Gidgen, you basically support the COVID containment measures, even including the pretty draconian lockdowns that kept people locked out of Australia. Australians themselves are spending a whole year somewhere else because they can't come home and so on. Uh, people are locked up in their domiciles. And you think that's pretty much a valid uh, medical response, whereas, Peter, I take it you're uh, leaning on the, to the other side. So let's let's start out with, with Gidgen. Tell us, uh, what what's the scientific argument for the kinds of lockdowns that we've seen in Australia? Well, I think <clears throat> the, the really fundamental uh, argument is the empirical reality. So that uh, Australia has got eight states and territories that have, like in America, states have a fair degree of autonomy and there is a federal government that has other responsibilities, such as defence and foreign affairs, um, and also some aspects of health. But the empirical reality is that uh, um, all but two, the two major states, have virtually no COVID cases at all, including Peter's state of Queensland. Uh, Western Australia, the Northern Territory, South Australia, Tasmania, the ACT, sort of the ACT, have virtually no COVID cases. And that has been due to a stringent program of, of uh, contact, uh, uh, of case detection, contact tracing, uh, lockdowns where necessary, uh, hygiene measures, masks, uh, 
washing hands and so on and so forth. So these these um, um, six states and territories have kept cases to a minimum and COVID deaths to a minimum. It's quite extraordinary in a world in, in, in which each day hundreds of thousands of people are dying. Now, in Victoria, where I live, and in um, New South Wales, these are the two biggest states of Australia. The, the, in New South Wales, uh, it, it's under a, a right-wing government that was more libertarian and more business-oriented, and, and unfortunately the, the, the virus got away, though not in any way like it's gotten away in all other countries of the world. In Victoria, there was a far more, a far more people-oriented um, government that that put uh, public good before private profit. But even there, it is it is it, it it has got away. And the last hope, really, for Victoria and New South Wales, uh, is a vaccination program. And it is estimated then that maybe maybe in about a month's time. Um, about maybe two months' time, eighty percent of the um, of the adults in Victoria and New South Wales would have had two doses of the requisite vaccines, and Australia is going to have to wear a certain number of deaths associated with people who don't want to be vaccinated. The statistics are that broadly that 95, these are the global statistics, that 95% of the people who are, who are dying uh, from COVID-19 are people uh, 60 years and older. And it turns out that about in, in the United States and in Australia, about 99% of the people, uh, of, of the new cases of people getting infected with COVID um, have not either not been vaccinated or have been insufficiently vaccinated. That, that is, they've only had, had had one dose. So where Australia is now, the science says the, the, the medical experts have been proven right. I agree with Peter and, uh, and other people that there are, are, are big inroads on, on human rights and freedoms uh, in the name of public health. But these sorts of things have happened in medical emergencies in times past. I, I recognise it's a valid concern, but it, but it has worked. And Australia is now set to come out of this in a vastly better position than countries like the United States and the United Kingdom. I mean, a, a very good example, we, we indeed haven't done as well as New Zealand and the critical parameter that you can use are COVID deaths per million of population. In Australia, that is about 40, which is like the low end of the Western European results. In New Zealand, it's eight times lower. It's only five. But in the United States, it's about 2,000. Absolutely extraordinary. It's, it's 2,000. And in the United Kingdom, it is also about 2,000. And that's the real scandal of the COVID-19 pandemic, is that 
under Trump and under Johnson, these leaders have allowed, in the United States case, hundreds of thousands of Americans to die avoidably, and in the United United Kingdom, about 130,000 Brits have died avoidably. The figure in Australia is perhaps a thousand people have died, and in New Zealand, only 26. So I, as a scientist, I I, I come from a culture where you 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 respect the scientific process, and you also, while admitting their flaws, genuine flaws in this process, as in all human processes, uh, you, you you grow up in a culture in which you expect you respect scientific expertise in areas that are not in, that are not in your own discipline, and it's that respect for uh, scientific expertise, medical expertise that has been accepted by our federal government, which, if the truth be known, when it comes to war and climate change is an extremely backward and reactionary and facile uh, government. But in the case of the COVID-19 pandemic, it decided under public pressure to follow the advice of the medical experts. And empirically, that has worked extremely well. Okay, well, actually, Gideon, your, your expertise uh, is in uh, an area somewhat related to this. Uh, you're an expert in avoidable mortality, or at least you've become one. I don't know if you're trained as one in university. So I'll, of course, let, you know, listen to you on that any topic that pertains to avoidable mortality and consider you an expert. Well, so, Peter, you've, you've heard uh, Gideon's exposition of why he basically supports the COVID containment measures that were the targets of uh, huge protests recently. There were workers rallying for freedom every day uh, in Victoria, and uh, there were uh, protests that included street fighting with police. I think last weekend there was the the World uh, Freedom Day demonstration on Saturday. So uh, you, you've basically supported uh, or at least certainly empathize with uh, workers who are protesting against these lockdowns. So maybe you could tell us if and why you think uh, Gijin Pali is wrong. Well, I think that um, this, the, the line that uh, you follow the science is misleading because it implies that science speaks with one voice, which really makes a religion of science. In fact, scientists are divided uh, over um, this matter and over everything else, including things like the Big Bang. There are numerous ways. Um, the theory of evolution, uh, for example, Fred Hoyle, eminent scientist, was advocated the panspermia theory, uh, contrary to the Darwinian one. There are, so it, I, I could um, list a number of eminent scientists on our side. Luke Montagna is one. He is a Nobel laureate, the uh, discoverer of the HIV virus, but in hostile literature, I saw him just referred to as conspiracy theorist Luke Montagna. That's the way they demoted him. Um, Dr. Mike Yearden, who was the former vice president of Pfizer, Professor Robert Clancy in Australia, head of, who was former head of pathology at Newcastle University, and then there's Professor Shukarit Bhakti, from the University of Mainz in Germany. And today I had an email from Dr. Francis Boyle, who is um, a lawyer with, with a science background, um, on the uh, 
on supporting the prosecution of uh, Fauci and others um, uh, for uh, in connection with bioweapons. Basically, there is a, a, a case now before the International Criminal Court that um, the virus was actually developed in as a bioweapon in American and Chinese labs. In fact, both of them, not just one. Each side now is just blaming the other and they're trying to cover their tracks. Um, and there is a case now before the International Criminal Court. Luke Montagna is one of the plaintiffs um, uh, on this matter. Well, the International Criminal Court is a globalist body and the globalists are the ones pushing this vaccine. So no doubt they'll be trying to stop it hearing this case. But anyway, it, it's there. And, I mean, the other thing to consider is if you take the, the, these, um, these uh, workers in Melbourne, one of the important points they made is that ivermectin should be freely available with vitamins C, D and zinc. And so what they're really saying is there are alternatives to having this vaccine in our bodies. And what we don't want is these genetic vaccines, the mRNA and the DNA vaccines, which put spike proteins into your blood. And people like Sakari Bhakti uh, are saying that, that, that these spike proteins line all your blood vessels, and um, including the small ones, the capillary blood vessels, and they impede the free flow of blood and that can cause clots. And that's what, and then when there's a clot in a, in a small capillary blood vessel, it blocks off and the heart uh, has to pump harder to get the blood around your body. And this is what caused the heart attack. So uh, the, the, one, another of the plaintiffs in the international court case is um, a cardiologist uh, and and uh, doctor, um, and um, so uh, in other words, there are plenty of reasons for not having this this particular type of vaccine in our body. Now, I'm not um, Robert Professor Robert Clancy says that if we wait a bit longer, there'll be another vaccine called the Novavax, which is not one of the genetic vaccines, and he says that's safe. And I would expect that Nikolai Petrovsky's vaccine is safe. It's not yet available. The Australian government hasn't given any money at all to him uh, to develop that vaccine. Now, why? And, and so, in other words, there are other, are, are other treatments that we don't necessarily oppose, like these other vaccines, not the genetic vaccines. And there's also ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and monoclonal um, antibodies. Now, the, the, the people who are pushing these um, vaccines, the current vaccines, don't want us to have any alternatives. And, and, and Professor Robert Clancy uh, revealed a TGA statement in Australia saying one of the reasons they don't want to allow ivermectin is that it would impede the vaccination program. In other words, what they're saying is we're going to deny you other methods, uh, other treatments, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, whatever. And in the US, Biden has has restricted the, the flow of monoclonal antibodies. We don't want you to have any alternative but the vaccines that we are pushing. Another point uh, in, in connection with the science, you know, 
claim, uh, you know, follow the science, is that um, apart from scientists being divided over this issue, the scientists who have the power, in fact, the you know, the uh, connections with the bureaucratic bodies like Fauci and CDC and FDA, they are tied in with Big Pharma. And I would have thought that a leftist like Gideon uh, would have uh, mentioned that. But, um, you know, there's, an, there's another agenda. Uh, there's, there's finance. I mean, they can make, they're making a lot of profit out of all of this, but at the same time, control. Control of us. So I think that the workers, what the, what the workers are doing is bringing a class dimension to all of this now and a class consciousness. And, um, and I, I think that this is not just happening in Australia, but worldwide that, um, that the working class is um, rebelling, not all of them, of course, but um, enough are rebelling and, and some hospitals have, have had to um, close down wards and even consider shutting down because nurses and other hospital staff are quitting rather than have these uh, mandated vaccines. So there's going to be uh, an effect uh, uh, and I think that it's going to show up show up in, in future elections in the next few years. Okay, well, uh, Gideon, maybe you could respond to Peter's points about science not speaking with one voice. And I, uh, I, I tend to agree with that to a certain extent. I found that I, I looked at what Vandenbosch and Montagnier are saying about vaccines actually breeding a more dangerous variants and find that quite plausible. And it doesn't seem to be at odds with what the discipline has always said. Uh, and, and so science doesn't speak with one voice. And then secondly, the issue of, of the class uh, division on this, because the, the Zoom class, the people who can work from home on Zoom with their uh, middle class office jobs have done just fine during this pandemic. The, uh, the big billionaires and big corporations have made many, many trillions of dollars and transferred market share to themselves, where while small businesses have been killed and workers have been literally killed as they've been forced to still do their public jobs and catch COVID. Uh, so the people rebelling against the lockdowns and so on kind of represent working class underprivileged people and the people who are okay with the lockdowns tend to represent privileged people. So maybe you can uh, respond to both of those points on the, the science uh, and uh, and the class conflict. Uh, yes. Well, look, I put it this way. I, I agree with um, Peter in his, I suppose, what you'd call um, libertarian concerns. And I would also agree that I, I, I think it's a given that uh, governments lie, that that uh, big corporations lie, and 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 the big corporations are in it for the money. I, I agree with all those propositions. Um, I also have he mentioned uh, Professor Francis Boyle. I have immense respect for Francis Boyle as a as a as a counsellor and as 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 a exponent of international humanitarian law. But he's, but he's not a medical scientist. And so I, I, I've read his recent comments. He's quite right about, about a proper application of international law to mass mortality. But I think, um, in, in relation to COVID, I think technically 
uh, he is wrong. Again, Professor Clancy was mentioned, a very eminent Australian uh, um, physician uh, and pathologist, and he 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 believes in in mass vaccination. Um, he also believes in the efficacy of ivermectin. However, my understanding um, from and I'm not an expert in these areas, and I actually take my advice from uh, uh, top medical, top scientific journals such as Nature, for example. Uh, the the issue of ivermectin is 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 compounded because of unsatisfactory um, 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 randomised clinical trials, and that that is as yet undecided. Similarly. There are two classes of, of, of opinion, and science is all about diversity of opinion. Science involves getting the facts um, and then critically testing um, uh, uh, models of reality and then putting, put, putting these in, into practice, adding this to the mountain of, of, of accepted scientific wisdom. So there will always be a diversity of opinion, but the critical thing here in the COVID pandemic is that governments and health departments have to make decisions. Now, a very good example of this happened in Australia. Because we have a rather incompetent uh, federal government, they've made all kinds of dreadful mistakes over all kinds of things from, from climate change to nuclear-powered submarines or what have you. But they had a mixed response to the COVID pandemic. And one of the things they did wrong last year, when other Western countries were eagerly lining up to get Pfizer vaccines and so on, uh, they were slack and there was a big delay. So, for example, I'm 77 years old and I was quite keen to get vaccinated. Um, And I got my first dose in, in May of this year. Whereas Americans and Brits were getting getting it uh, way back uh, in 2020, um, and one of one of the reasons that compounded the slowness of the vaccination rollout in Australia was that we have a therapeutic good goods administration. It's a little bit like the um, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, and very properly. They pointed out that there's a thing called the AstraZeneca vaccine that that comes from Britain uh, and is also being manufactured in Australia um, by the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory Company. Um, There was a very low incidence detected of blood clots in people receiving this vaccine. However, Australia leads the world in dealing with these blood clots. And the mortality from these blood clots from from uh, uh, associated with um, the uh, AstraZeneca vaccination uh, is extremely low. In fact, the probability of dying from an AstraZeneca uh, vaccination is about is is about one in one in a million. It's like the probability of dying from a from a, a electrocution in a, in a, from lightning strike or suffering of dying from a bee sting. So unfortunately, what happened, because people don't understand, and I readily admit I don't understand either, just as a human being, 
we don't understand what a probability of one in a million really means. And so there was a great hesitancy about taking up this uh, this AstraZeneca vaccine because of this extremely low probability event, and uh, which is real, but it's a very low probability event. And that has compounded the slow uptake of a vaccination in Australia, which has now been reversed because people now are aware of our, the huge vulnerability of the states of New South Wales and Victoria, where, where unlike in all the other parts of Australia, where the, where the, uh, with the possible exception of the Australian Capital Territory, uh, where, where there's all virtually no new cases daily of, of the virus, uh, in New South Wales and, and Victoria, the cases are about daily cases, new cases are about 1,700 respectively. And people, people are genuinely in fear, not only for themselves, but in fear for mass mortality uh, in Australia. Uh, and there are two reasons for getting vaccinated. One is for your own personal health, especially if you're, if you're elderly. And, and secondly, the protection that you help give to the rest of the community. Now, in terms of the, the class division assertions and about the rioters, I, I think overwhelmingly Australians um, are, are overwhelmingly opposed to the rioters uh, that have been operating over the last few days in, in, in Melbourne. Um, they, they potentially act as super spreaders to uh, uh, ex- expand the disease. We were quite confident Victoria had managed uh, outbreaks in the last 18 months very, very successfully and re- reduced cases to zero. But in this case, with the Delta variant, uh, now predominant in Australia and the rest of the world, uh, it, it didn't seem to work as well in Victoria, and and it worked even less well in in in, in New South Wales. So the the, the the problem is has left us with is that mass vaccination is really the only thing left for Australia. And these guys who have been rioting in the streets have been acting as spreaders. They could have expressed their opinions uh, quietly and peacefully and rationally, but they've instead sought to potentially act as super spreaders and and make the matters worse. It's not actually known to what extent they have contributed to this um, high, high level of new cases in Victoria, but it's quite, it's quite possible that it has. And as to being working class, the, the, the first day of the riots was the rioters were directed against a union, one of the strongest and toughest unions. Yes, uh, but that's a, against the union. Yes, but the contest is between the workers and the union bosses, and they are not working class. They are middle class apparatchiks. I mean, and the other point is that these workers, what they were rejecting was the vaccine mandate. In other words, being forced to vaccinate, vaccinate or lose their jobs. And and anyway, Professor Robert Clancy says that the Delta variant is, is not much different from a serious influenza. 
and you know there's no and the other thing is a lot in israel um the the vaccine has been shown to to um lose its efficacy over over a short time and um and and um and and the vaccinated it doesn't stop the vaccinated from getting um covid it just it just means they don't get such a serious version of it but anyway, and, and, that, think, and that might actually turn them into spreaders is, is one concern. Well, I think, you know, look, there have been times in, in all in Britain and Australia. Uh, I mean, basically, you're saying that people should have to face these vaccine mandates or lose their jobs. And if they don't want like it, then they should just stay home uh, and express their opinion by letters to the editor. And what these guys have have done is come out on the streets and publicly do so. And I think that they're actually taking a leadership role. Anyway, Kevin, it's half past 11 and there's another half of the the, the topic which I'm keen to get onto to discuss with Gideon, which which is to do with um, 9-11 and, um, and, and um, what he calls the war on Muslims. So can we move on to uh, that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Let, let's do that. Well, and can that I was... start by, by um, with this one? Because Gideon started the first time. Gideon, um, I've, I've had a look at um, your your uh, writings on Google. There's a site called um, sites.google.com slash site dot uh, slash dr Gideon, that's G-I-D-E-L-N-P-L-Y-A, and I've looked at, you've got quite a lot of writings there. I know you've done some writings elsewhere, and I've had a look at them too. But anyway, I did site searches. Uh, on that site by 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 testing words and phrases, um, you write a lot about Holocaust and genocide. So I did a search on Holocaust in double quotes, genocide in double quotes. There are quite a lot of hits for both of them. Um, uh, there are no hits for Bolshevik or Trotsky or Lenin. One hit for Stalin where you call him a mass murderer. No hits for Jewish lobby. No hits for Mao or Great Leap Forward, that is double quote, Great Leap Forward, double quote, or Cultural Revolution, that is double quote, Cultural Space Revolution, double quote. There are uh, five uh, hits for United Nations, six hits for Chomsky, six hits for Pilger. Um, and, for example, I, I, I mean, I think you're, you are a significant writer on, on, on a certain theme, this theme of of, Bolshev, of Holocaust and genocide, I personally find you, that you overstate things a bit. For example, uh, in one place you write, the British deliberately starved to death six to seven million Indians. And then you give a link uh, where, uh, for, a, for a program, a BBC program about it. But the link doesn't... I looked through the uh, items of that link. They don't actually say the British deliberately did it. They did it callously, but not not deliberately. So I think, and and another thing is when you talk about avoidable deaths or preventable deaths, it boosts the toll number in all your genocides, etc. And but I think it sort of overlooks the fact that um, in in pre-industrial uh, life, tribal peoples had had high mortalities for children under one, and 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 also for children under five generally, but especially under one. And so I think that if you, I mean, I know I myself write on controversial matters, and I think that overstatement for me 
is the worst thing I can do because uh, it invites people to to ridicule me or attack me or ignoring me. So I I think that you would actually have a greater impact if you re- rewrote your uh, material, um, uh, taking that out. But but just just getting on. So in other words, if you look at the the sort of things you're talking about. The Holocausts and the genocides are basically bond by white people, white Christians. And when you talk about the war on Islam and you say um, the U.S. did did 9-11 and, and then it, it went and uh, murdered 30 million Muslims, you're leaving out uh, the Jewish factor in 9-11. So for, by contrast, for example, Alan Sobrowski says that um, it was a Mossad operation. Well, I couldn't find you talking about Mossad at all. There are no hits from Mossad on, on that site. And um, and then James Petrus basically said says that um, the Jewish lobby controls the US and, and has said, well, it has anyway. It may not to the extent now. I think that uh, right now with, with Biden, uh, Biden, we're actually seeing uh, him, uh, him, him moving away from the the, uh, the period where the Jewish lobby controlled controlled American foreign policy, but um, and then Abu Bakr Bashir, he he says the 9/11 attacks were engineered by Israel, and he wrote the U.S. is quote a horse ridden by Jews. Now I remember seeing that phrase on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald decades ago, and um, I went looking for it occasionally because it's a, a striking phrase. Uh, and I did a search for it in Google just a couple of days ago, and I found only one site that actually comes up in a Google search on that phrase, that is double quote, a horse ridden by Jews, double quote. That is the way you search Google for a phrase. You've got to put double quotes front and back. Anyway, now, um, so what I'm trying to say is that I, th- I think that you have a Jewish sensitivity and I can understand it that you are perhaps um, highlighting uh, things that the, the European, you could, let's, you know, big blood and say invasion of the, the world in the last few centuries has, has had that an effect on, um, on, on other peoples. And I think that uh, you, you probably have a role in revealing that, although, if you overstate it, in my view, you, you'll have less impact. But but the other thing is that, um, so in other words, if you look at, say, um, uh, the first European settlements in the New World, they had this transforming effect on the New World. Uh, and what I'm alleging is that we had that Aryan period, and that Aryan period is now over, and we've got a Jewish period, a period of Jewish dominance. And and that's where we get these the the, uh, the 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 invasion of Palestine, if you like to call it that, or, or or the or the attacks on Muslims worldwide, ostensibly done by the U.S. It is in fact done by Israel and its lobby. And so what I'm arguing is that this Jewish period in our modern history has been just as devastating for the Muslim and Islamic world as the white settlements in the New World were for the indigenous peoples there. Well, that's an interesting point. You can't see the... You you have your own 
Um, we all have limits for what we can see. You can't think, you can't identify this as Jewish. Well, well, let, let, let's let Gideon Polly respond to that. Maybe he can. Uh, so Gideon, basically two points there. One was the exaggeration factor. And I've, I've heard other people criticize your Holocaust genocide research by saying, well, this, this seems kind of overstated. And, I, and my response is, well, he's actually helping us rebalance the view because the, the mainstream grossly understates these, these uh, kinds of Holocaust and genocides. And then the second issue is the, the issue of uh, uh, Jewish and Zionist uh, participation in Holocaust and genocides. Are you underestimating uh, that? You know, some people claim that the, the biggest single Holocaust and genocide happened under the USSR in the uh, sort of Lenin-Stalin period, uh, which was at, at a time when the leading communists in Russia were 90 percent plus Jewish. So that, you know, rather than Jews being seen as the victims of genocide, they should actually be seen as the perpetrators of the biggest 20th century genocide, et cetera, et cetera. So so what, what's your response on those two questions, exaggeration and the issue of, of Jews and Zionism? Well, on the first the first issue, I um, agree with you, Kevin, that you really shouldn't understate atrocities. And I'll give you a very good example. I mean, I have a Jewish background. I come from one of the most famous Jewish Hungarian families. You can ask any mathematician or, or, or surgeon, and you'll find our name. In fact, the 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 headquarters of the um, American Mathematical Society in Washington are named after my great uncle George. Um, I'm very conscious of the Jewish Holocaust because only maybe a dozen of my family survived it. However, that said, I am also a, a stickler for the realities and one of the world's leading experts on the Jewish Holocaust, on Judaism, Zionism, World War I and World War II, is Professor Sir Martin Gilbert, who's, who's now dead. Um, and he has catalogued deaths of European Jews in Europe. And if you add up his figures, it comes to about 5.7 million. And the Zionists uh, come up with the magic figure of, of 6 million. As a conservative scientist, I say 5 to 6 million, uh, with many of these people either dying from violence or from from deliberately and war-imposed uh, deprivation. Because of adopting that particular position, I have been virulently attacked by Australian Zionists for understating the magnitude of the Jewish politics, a really foul and, and, and rotten and defamatory uh, uh, thing. I, 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 I think you should give the upper estimate um, in relation to, to Peter's point that maybe I haven't mentioned any holocausts and genocides, I'm very conscious of that. I've written millions of words. I've, I've written eight huge books, uh, all of which in one way or the other refer to these things. And in my book, um, US Imposed, Post 9-11 Muslim Holocaust and Muslim Genocide, uh, to which Kevin actually wrote an extremely extremely powerful forward, um, I, I conclude the book with a table of about 60 holocausts and genocides that have occurred over the last uh, couple of centuries. And I conclude that table. I give the estimates 
upper estimates of how many people have died. And I conclude the table by saying that I'm extremely apologetic if 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 I haven't mentioned um, a, a Holocaust um, a, 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 or genocide on this list. And indeed, recently I had a wonderful Afghan dinner um, and met some Hazaras, and and they explained to me the horrendous persecution of the Hazaras uh, in in Afghanistan that goes back many 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 decades. And uh, so I, I'm that the Hazara genocide was something that uh, I unfortunately had not put in my list and which I will endeavour uh, to correct. Now, the the other point is the Jewish side of things. Well, again, in this case, I'm, I'm going to be in furious agreement with both Kevin and with Peter. Um, um, if you... Simply look at, at Joe Biden's cabinet uh, and and go through the names. You will discover, you can do this exercise yourself, that 30% of Joe Biden's cabinet are Jewish Zionists and the remainder are all Christian Zionists. Now, they're not, these Christian Zionists are what you might call moderate Christian Zionists. So they're really unlike the Trump supporting very fervent Christian Zionists um, um, that, 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 that support Trump. So that's really quite extraordinary when you consider that uh, Jewish people represent only 2% of the American population, but represent 30% of the Joe Biden cabinet. And I, in relation to 9-11, I'm a scientist. And the official version of 9-11 is like a Hollywood um, uh, ho- Hollywood movie construction. It, it offends me as a scientist that we are meant to believe in virtually impossible things, that a hundred-story buildings can de- suddenly be demolished in 10 seconds. Extraordinary. That, that people who barely knew how to fly a Cessna were able to do Hollywood-style aerobatics and 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 uh, attack three very precisely attack three huge buildings. Uh, indeed, scientists, a, a group of engineers at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, recently published a very detailed analysis that said that building number seven in the World Trade Center (WTC seven) had to have been destroyed by simultaneous explosive demolition, and not by fires, as claimed by the US government. And Professor Niels Harrett from University of Copenhagen, chemistry department and colleagues, have demonstrated that the World Trade Center dust contained unexploded nanothermite particles. The evidence for the explosive demolition uh, of of the World Trade Center buildings is, is absolutely clear. And But as to as to complicity, well, I think the intelligence and military experts say that it that had to have been could only have been performed by a major state power. It could not have been performed. A feat of that kind could not have been informed by ignorant, uneducated men in caves somewhere in Central Asia. That's it's it's absurd. Only Hollywood fantasy 
uh, allows for that for, for, for that sort of thing. However, I think it is quite likely likely that there was Israeli and Saudi involvement. Now we don't know, but I think it's quite a reasonable to suspect their involvement since the since the Saudis have a have a nasty hand in the Middle East, and the Israelis have a, a nasty hand as U.S. surrogates. Uh, throughout the world, whether it was the Guatemalan, Mayan, Indian genocide or Sri Lankan, Tamil genocide that Professor Boyle has written about um, or the Sudanese uh, civil war and, 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 and so forth. Indeed, in our own country, in our own patch of the world, in the South Pacific, where Australia is located, in 1987, um, the, the uh, multiracial uh, Labor government, which objected to uh, nuclear warships in the South Pacific, was overthrown in a U.S.-backed coup. And I know a lot of, met all kinds of people involved in that. I have hundreds of relatives through marriage in Fiji. The the evidence is uh, that the people who rushed into the parliament wearing balaclavas had black faces, but they were not Fijians who have a particular physicality and a way of walking and behaving and it's the evidence is that the Israelis supplied weapons to the coup plotters there was a subsequent coup in year 2000 and before the court in Suva the capital one of the major plotters admitted that the Israeli embassy had supplied guns Israel has an appalling record throughout the world as a U.S. surrogate doing dirty tricks. So can, I'm. Can I just? Can I just? Can, can I come in there, Gideon, for a minute? See, this is the Chomsky line, and I do admit that Israel has worked with the U.S. during the Cold War, for example, in in um, undermining the Caribbean communist regimes. But I still maintain that you are presenting a Chomskyist view, which sees uh, for example, Israel as uh, the local deputy of the U.S. in the Middle East, rather than as some sort of uh, as pulling the strings in the U.S. And, Choms- and Chomsky denies the the role of the Jewish lobby. And I searched on your uh, Google website for the term Jewish lobby, double quotes around the whole lot, and didn't show up. So I think that you, perhaps even unconsciously, are following that line and with regard I, to I, I, I totally agree with you the zionist lobby in america is extremely powerful it became extremely significant in the 19 middle 1960s when when uh, israel had finally uh, secured nuclear weapons and ever since uh, then, thank, thanks to the killing of jfk who jfk and then subsequently rfk you can date the the zionist influence in fact I think it was Ariel Sharon, who, who in, a, in a famously reported cabinet dispute, I think with Shimon Peres, had 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 uh, had had criticised Peres and said, "You you have to realise that 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 we we run America." So that that was his. And as far as I'm concerned, they do. And the concrete well, evidence for that is under the Joe Biden administration, thirty percent of his cabinet members. Are Jewish Zionists. Yeah, but I think, can I come in again there? I I certainly don't 
uh, resile from that absolutely extraordinary reality. And, but, and but, but with regards to the other point, the other, the I'm other, deeply other. embarrassed by, by, by that reality because historically, uh, Jewish Americans were in the forefront of the civil rights movement in the United States. Now, they, uh, half of the Jewish Americans support what I call a nuclear terrorist, uh, genocidally racist, grossly human rights abusing, um, serial war criminal, apartheid rogue state in apartheid Israel. It is an absolute... With regard, to, with regard to the Christian Zionists, you said 70% are Christian Zionists. I've been studying the calendar of the US House of Representatives, specifically its holidays. And I've, I've, I've got... Um, I've got copies online of its calendar from 2003, 2004, I'll have 2017 and various other years. And very commonly, in all those years that I've looked at, they have more Jewish holidays. The Congress takes more Jewish holidays than Christian holidays. And the only Christian holidays pretty much are Christmas Day and Easter, uh, some years, Good Friday is listed. In 2017, the, 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 the calendar of the House of Representatives didn't even list Good Friday as a holiday, but it had a whole lot of Jewish holidays, including the start, of Yom, uh, start and end of various Jewish holiday periods. And so the idea that, that, that Chomsky puts, the, or, or his supporters, that, 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 that it's the Christian Zionists who are pulling strings, this is wrong. If they were pulling the strings, you would see uh, Christian holidays, uh, the Congress observing Christian holidays more than Jewish. Well, well, well actually, could we, uh, Dr. Pelia, maybe we could uh, notice that the 70 percent who are Christian Zionists are so-called Christians who have been somehow convinced to support a uh, rabid Jewish nationalistic project. And so that suggests where the power here really lies. I, I totally, uh, totally agree with that. However, I, 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 I think, um, or maybe, maybe there's more hope, hope in this, um, that especially younger Jewish Americans uh, are, are accepting the evidence of their own eyes and the appalling nature of the of the Zionist enterprise in Palestine. I'm a founding member of a group called Free Palestine Melbourne. And and we try to inform the Australian public um, um, about the immense crimes of apartheid Israel. Yet in Australia, we have exactly the same phenomenon. We we are, are absolutely tied to the United States uh, in in terms of uh, a, a military alliance, and as a consequence of that, in part, we're also fervently fervently pro-Zionist, unfortunately. So decent people who believe in human rights for everybody, who believe that all men were created equal and have a right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness and believe in love thy neighbour, uh, our opinions are absolutely sidelined and all we get in the Australian media is the official uh, Zionist uh, line that they can do no wrong. It is absolute outrage it is a blot on humanity it's a blot on america and as soon as the americans wake up to this uh decent decent humane jewish americans 
know about this because they're deeply ashamed by what, what apartheid Israel is doing. And I, I think all Americans have to have to wake up to this dreadful reality. Can I come well, in? It's a, it's a, it sounds I, like if you were here, you, you'd be going to the protests with Henry Herskovitz, who protests in front of the synagogue, the pro-Israel synagogue in Ann Arbor every week. I, I just had him on in the first hour. Yeah, go ahead, Peter. Yeah, well, I, was, I, just, I think with regard to the Holocaust theme, um, I, you don't seem to say anything about the Red Terror. Lenin and Trotsky introduced. Now, I know you brand... Wait a minute, wait a minute, let me finish. I haven't finished. You brand Stalin a mass murderer, but but he overthrew the Jewish control in, in Russia gradually. But the early period when the Red Terror was introduced was where uh, the Bolshevik Jews... Now, I know they weren't all Jews, but they were the Bolshevik Jews, were in charge. And I don't think you are counting that as a genocide... Or a Holocaust. That's a and great I question, Peter. We only have two minutes left. We have two, finish, one and a half, 90 seconds left in the entire show, Peter. Can I respond, Kevin? Yes, I'm right. yeah. okay. And it says 1921-1922, Russian famine, 5 million deaths. 1930-1953, Russian Holocaust under Stalin, 20 million deaths. And I then go on to the 1930s Ukrainian famine, a lot of yeah, more. But you don't, you don't finger it as Jewish. I, not, I can't be accused of, of ignoring. No, but, you, but you see, you see, the point is that if you don't identify it as Jewish, in other words, whether you're talking about the Red Terror of of, of Lenin and Stalin, whether you're talking about 9/11 as a, a, a now likely Mossad, your people like Cheney were obviously involved. But the question is, to the extent to which it was Jewish, and PNAC, they they were largely Jewish, and and the neocons, all you know, Stalin was start, uh, near, Cheney was in their camp. Well, now, Peter, I, Peter, I, I, I just want I, I just want to make the point this, because it, I want to make one point that there was a simulation occurring on 9/11 of of attacks on on uh, buildings by planes. Whoever scheduled the hijackings of that day knew about these attacks. They knew that military exercise was scheduled for that day. Who would have known? Bin Laden in a cave in Afghanistan would not have known. Shane would have known. Osset um, would have known. Whoever knew about those, those um, military exercises and simulations and they were scheduled first. They would have been scheduled first, and then I, the, I, the, the perpetrators of 9-11 decided to, to schedule their event on the same day because of the confusion. Because of the confusion, because well, those that's, simulations that's were point, Peter, scheduled. We're not, we're not gonna be, we don't have time to listen to Gideon's response because we're in the bumper music now. So all I can do is thank both of you uh, for coming on and debating these issues. It's been a very lively hour. So thank you, Gijin Palya and Peter Myers, uh, two of my favorite Australians. Keep up the great work, both of you. God bless and look forward to having you both back on the show individually and, and perhaps together as well. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Cheerio. Okay. <laughs> okay, cheerio. Thank you for listening to the Revolution Radio. But that doesn't mean that they're telling the truth as opposed to fiction.
in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, um, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, indicating that there were giants before the Nephilim. And sons of God, plural. They weren't talking about Jesus coming down. No, no, that, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm Steve Crawford, host of Factor Theory Live. Join me every Sunday night from 10 p.m. till midnight Eastern Standard Time on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Check it out. I am Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney, and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen. Learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt. Transcending time and space, let us take you to the place inside your mind where thoughts divide and mysteries unwind. Join us every Monday evening right here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern.